Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap, hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is Sunday, our group learning program, where we're exploring this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. And we're in chapter eight, which is titled Transforming the Three Poisons, Greed, Hatred, and Delusion. This is a chapter that can really open your mind to understanding all the problems that Gautama Buddha was discussing about the unenlightened mind from a somewhat high level, but then drilling into some detail and giving some antidotes of how to actually remedy the unenlightened mind, bringing it into a more enlightened mental state. So if you've never explored the three poisons, this can be an opportunity for you to really kind of see an overview of what's been happening with your mind all through your life and why it's been such a struggle in certain situations with professional or personal relationships or various situations or circumstances that you've been experiencing and certain ways that you've maybe reacted in certain situations or maybe other people reacting to you in various situations. So this talk today is going to help you see these challenges in the mind and how to actually antidote them and remedy them. So I'm really pleased that you've chosen to join us for today's class. As we go in our class, there's opportunities to ask questions where if you're in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, you can put your questions into the comment section. And we have our moderators, James, Manal, and Bossom, who will be able to see those and make sure they get asked during the class. If you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly and get your questions answered that way. So let's go ahead and get started with today's class, talking about transforming the three poisons. First, starting out with what are they? What are the three poisons? We refer to them as the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots or the three fires. These are ways that you'll see these referred to. And depending on how we refer to them, we might be talking about them in a slightly different way. When we refer to them as the three poisons, then we refer to the antidotes to these three poisons. Or if we talk about them as the three unwholesome roots, we might talk about the remedy being the three wholesome roots. Or if we talk about them as the three fires, we might talk about the three things that extinguish these fires, right? So these are known this way for good reason. As we get talking, you'll understand why we refer to these this way. 
They're also referred to as defilements. And what a defilement is, is kind of like a pollution of the mind. These are the three main high-level things that are essentially keeping the mind trapped in the unenlightened state. And through eradicating this pollution or these defilements, then the mind will move into this enlightened mental state. These three poisons or three unwholesome roots or three fires, they help explain why the mind is trapped in this unenlightened state and why it's experiencing this unwholesome results or these unwholesome outcomes. Because as long as our mind is defiled or polluted with these three poisons or three unwholesome roots or three fires, we're going to be making decisions through these three poisons. Therefore, our decisions are going to be tainted with this unwholesomeness. And when we put those decisions into the world, then we're going to experience unwholesome results. This is unwholesome gamma. Remember, gamma is cause and effect or action and result, essentially the result of our decisions. So when we make decisions through the unwholesome roots, then they're going to have unwholesome results or unwholesome outcomes, also referred to as unwholesome gamma. The three poisons or three unwholesome roots or three fires, they give a really clear description of what the problems are in the unenlightened mind and how to eliminate those with these antidotes or these remedies to solve these problems, moving the mind into this enlightened mental state. And this is kind of as a high level overview of the unenlightened mind being the three poisons, three unwholesome roots or three fires. It gets somewhat detailed, but it's still somewhat of a higher level perspective of what's really keeping the mind trapped in the unenlightened state. It's the 10 fetters that explain it in very, very detailed terms. So it's the 10 fetters that need to be eliminated from the mind in order to experience enlightenment. This is what we talked about back in chapter three. But all of these 10 fetters bubble up to the three poisons. So Gautama Buddha is really known for kind of having this layering effect where he layers his teachings one by one by one, where more and more gets exposed the more you pull back the layers. So the three poisons or three unwholesome roots or three fires, it's kind of like one layer of understanding of what are the problems and what are the solutions to this unenlightened mind. But then to get into it in much more detail, you would look at the 10 fetters, which will look at very specific aspects of the mind that are causing problems and difficulties or our pollution of the mind. We call those 10 fetters, we call them taints or the fetters or pollution. We also call them pollution, where we refer to these three as more like defilements, right? And we kind of separate the two, but they're really describing the same thing just at two different levels of detail. The antidotes to the three poisons or the remedies to the three unwholesome roots are referred to as the three wholesome roots. And when you make decisions through these three wholesome roots, rather than the unenlightened mind making decisions through the unwholesome roots, when you're making decisions and you're conducting yourself in the world through these three wholesome roots that we're going to be discussing today, then you're going to experience wholesome results or wholesome gamma. 
One of the big challenges that we're going to talk about today is the mind doesn't understand what it doesn't understand. And because it doesn't understand these three unwholesome roots, then it doesn't also understand the three wholesome roots. And the mind is just kind of roaming and wandering throughout the world, thinking that perhaps it's doing things that are good or wholesome. But in reality, because of the misunderstanding or unknowing of true reality, the mind is producing decisions that are not leading to wholesome results. And oftentimes we may think in the unenlightened state that we're doing things that are wholesome and that are helpful and beneficial. But in reality, the things that we do and the decisions that we make end up having unwholesome results. And this is just because of our unknowing of true reality. So while in the book, I refer to these as the chapter title of greed, hatred, and delusion, I more frequently refer to these as craving, anger, and ignorance. And in the rewrite of this book, I'm actually retitling this chapter to be the three poisons, craving, anger, and ignorance, because I think these words really elicit more of the meaning of what Gautama Buddha was talking about. But as we talk today, I'm going to help you understand the various ways that we think about these three poisons or three unwholesome roots, both through craving anger and ignorance or unknowing of true reality, but also through greed, hatred, and delusion. And we even oftentimes refer to these as maybe desire, ill will, or confusion because the mind's confused. It doesn't understand what it doesn't understand. And because of this confusion or this lack of wisdom, the mind being ignorant or having delusion, it's masking our true nature. The mind isn't awakened to this wisdom and it doesn't have compassion and loving kindness. And these poisonous states will tend to motivate non-virtuous behaviors or unskillful intentions and speech and actions, which produces unwholesome karma. So we need to transform these three poisons so that they remedy or antidote these three poisons so that then the mind can experience the brightness of the enlightened mind. Through applying these antidotes or through practicing these wholesome roots, the mind can come into a more enlightened state where it's now conducting itself in the world through these good wholesome teachings and also the three wholesome roots. So now let's go into each of these individually and provide some detail on what each one of these are. And I've separated these into three different sections. And then at the end, I'll kind of give you a bit of a summary. But let's go through the details. This first poison of craving or greed, we also talk about this as desire or attachment or wants or expectations or grasping or holding. This is how the mind is longing with a strong eagerness, wanting something external. And it thinks if it obtains the objects of its affection, that it will create lasting satisfaction. And the mind is essentially chasing and yearning and longing. It has this unquenchable thirst, these wants. It has this objects of its affection, and it thinks that it's going to provide some kind of lasting fulfillment or inner satisfaction to create wholeness or completeness in the mind. The mind can sometimes even become obsessive as it chases after the objects of its affection, having this constant longing and strong eagerness for more and more and more. 
it just wants all of these things. It wants certain material objects, it wants certain situations or certain titles, or it wants other people to do certain things. So we form expectations of what we want from others. And we essentially fulfill our selfish desires. We're kind of pursuing our own self-interest. And we think that if we just get that bicycle when we were a little kid, that that bicycle will satisfy the mind and it's all we ever needed. And we just want that bicycle. Please, mom and dad, get me that bicycle. And then when we get the bicycle, the mind is happy. It's excited. It's elated. But because we're basing our inner feelings on this external impermanent condition, that eventually wears off. That happiness, excitement, and elation wears off. And now the mind kind of looks for what's the next craving or the next desire, the next thing that it wants in order to create those pleasant feelings. Well, now maybe it wants a motorcycle or a skateboard or something like this. So now the mind longs and longs and longs and it even can become obsessive where it just wants that next object of its affection. And then it gets it and then it experiences pleasant feelings. But then somewhere along the line that wears off and now the mind wants maybe a car. It wants a Toyota or a Honda or what have you. And now it puts all this effort and energy and it chases after this car and it wants this car, the objects of its affection. And it just feels if it just has that car, everything in the world will be perfect and you won't want anything else or you won't need anything else. Then you acquire that. The mind feels pleasant feelings for a period of time and then those wear off. And now the mind wants a BMW or a Lamborghini or a Bentley or some other type of car. Now, this is just one example where the mind is longing for transportation or something like this. But we also do this with boyfriends and girlfriends, with houses, with clothing, with jewelry, with makeup, with all kinds of different things in our life. And the mind just keeps looking for the next thing that it's going to chase, thinking that the next thing to fulfill and make it complete is just waiting around the corner. And if I can just get that thing that's waiting for me around the corner, then I will feel whole and I will feel complete. But the problem is, is that every time the mind longs and chases after something and it actually acquires it, then that is only temporary because it's basing its inner feelings on this impermanent or temporary external condition. And then the problem becomes with craving that if we don't get the object of our affection, then the mind experiences painful feelings. Because the mind is longing externally for some pleasant feeling, if the mind has that longing for long enough and it keeps chasing and chasing and chasing and it doesn't get what it wants, then the mind experiences sadness or anger or frustration, irritation, annoyance, these painful feelings. And the mind just keeps cycling through this constant craving, these constant desires, these wants and expectations, where it just keeps thinking that these external things are going to solve the inner conflict and the discontentedness that exists in the mind. And every time it acquires the objects of its affection, for a brief period when it's experiencing those pleasant feelings, 
it kind of confirms for the mind that it thinks it's on the right track because it experiences happiness, excitement, and elation. But then once those feelings wear off, the mind's right back to where it started from, no longer feeling those pleasant feelings. It's not experiencing any kind of lasting contentedness or peacefulness or calmness. And it just looks for the next objects of its affection. And the mind just keeps doing this over and over and over in a constant cycle, never ever getting to a point where it's content or peaceful because the problem isn't that it doesn't have one more material object or one more relationship or one more job title. The problem isn't that it needs to acquire all these external things. And once it has all these objects of its affection, it's somehow going to miraculously be satisfied. This is why someone who wins the lottery, for example, if you talk to people who win the lottery, sometimes they will say that they're more miserable after they win the lottery than before. And this is how you see that the objects of our affection of wealth or fame or notoriety, it's not going to fulfill the mind. This is why you see superstars or famous celebrities that are still committing suicide because they are not satisfied in the mind or they're using illegal drugs. They're trying to chase those pleasant feelings. And when the mind can't sustain those pleasant feelings permanently, then it turns to the darker side where it sometimes turns to drugs or alcohol or suicide even. The real problem here isn't that the mind doesn't have the objects of its affection. The real problem is that the mind is having this craving, this longing with a strong eagerness and wanting something that it doesn't have. It's kind of like the grass is always greener on the other side. But then when you cross the other side of the fence, you realize the grass actually isn't any more greener over here than it was somewhere else. And the mind is discontent. So the real problem that the mind's experiencing with this particular poison is this longing with a strong eagerness, this mental yearning, these wants and these expectations. And we put all this pressure on ourselves to fulfill those expectations, or we put pressure on other people to fulfill our expectations. And this causes conflict in our relationships, both personally and professionally. So as long as the mind's craving and yearning for something external, wanting these pleasant feelings, then it's inviting in these painful feelings and it's inviting in these destructive behaviors and these habits where we're putting pressure on ourselves, never feeling fulfilled, never feeling like we've done enough, or we're putting expectations on other people feeling like they haven't done enough and we want more from them. But our list of cravings just keeps growing and growing and growing. We ourselves can't fulfill all the cravings that the mind comes up with and other people around us can't fulfill all the various cravings that the mind comes up with. So there's only one solution to this is to eliminate that longing with a strong eagerness, that yearning, that constant searching, that burning desire for the mind wanting the objects of its affection and chasing after them. The antidote or the wholesome root here would be to practice breathing mindfulness meditation. Through breathing mindfulness meditation, it trains the mind to let go 
residing in the present moment and cultivating this awareness of mind or right mindfulness. Because the problem here is that the mind is longing externally and wanting something externally, either from the past or the future, or it has all these various thoughts and ideas. It just keeps chasing after thoughts and ideas and material objects and things like this. The solution is to train the mind to be in the present moment and let go, let go, let go. Because otherwise, the mind's going to keep chasing the objects of its affection. This is why when you're in meditation, the mind has difficulty staying on the breath. It goes to the past, or it goes to the future, or it has thoughts and ideas, or you start judging yourself, or you have these negative self-talk in the mind. Because the mind can't be content in the present moment, it always feels like it has to go somewhere. It's always coming and going. It can't just be satisfied with where it's at. The grass is always greener on the other side. So the mind is always looking for where is the grass greener on the other side. So it's going to the past or it's going to the future or it's having all these thoughts or ideas. And what you're doing in breathing mindfulness meditation is you're training the mind where you observe the mind has left the breath, the present moment. You're training the mind to let go and come back to the breath. And more and more over repeated sessions of doing this, the mind gets more and more comfortable and more and more at ease. It starts being comfortable with just residing in the present moment and it gets easier and easier to let go. And then in daily practice through the Eightfold Path, as certain unwholesome mental states arise, you can more easily let them go in daily life because in meditation, two or three times a day, you've trained the mind over a consistent period of time to let go, let go, let go, stop longing, stop longing, stop craving, stop having all these wants and all these desires and all these expectations and just be content in the present moment with nothing other than the breath. So this is the first antidote is using breathing mindfulness meditation to transform this craving or greed where the mind wants to hold on to things. And then the second antidote is generosity. Generosity is giving and sharing. This is a very important foundational teaching as part of Buddhist teachings. And for those of you guys that have looked at Buddhist culture before, you know that every day the Buddhist monks and other ordained practitioners like female ordained practitioners will go out and they will walk through the streets of a city with a bowl and allow people to practice generosity of giving them food or clothing or money or something like this to help them sustain their life. And this is a practice of generosity where the mind gets used to letting go of its material possessions, letting go of things that it's holding closely, and it learns how to give and share, and it starts to recognize the interconnectivity of how all beings are interconnected, and it no longer holds on to its selfish desires and only pursuing its selfish desires, but through the practice of generosity, the mind is trained to let go. And not only can you do this with Buddhist monks if you live in a Buddhist country, but you can do this in your private life, in your professional life as well. It doesn't have to be 
just practicing generosity with ordained practitioners. You can share potato chips, you can share food, you can share clothing, you can share your time, your effort, your energy. You can buy a friend lunch or a colleague lunch. And when you practice generosity, it should be a daily, consistent, ongoing practice where you don't want anything in return. If the mind is giving something or sharing something and then it expects something back in return, then you haven't truly let go. You still want something. That's still the longing with a strong eagerness. There's still craving in there. So your generosity is tainted with this craving desire attachment. So if you're going to practice generosity, and you should in order to antidote this craving or this greed, is you need to do this on an ongoing, continuous basis with people around you and finding that middle way where you're not hardly ever giving and sharing, but you're also not giving and sharing so much of your time, effort, energy, and resources that you don't have what you need to sustain your own life. You need to find that middle way in this practice. So these two combined are going to be generalized training in order to antidote this craving or greed where the mind is longing externally it's going to train the mind to let go let go let go and just be content in the present moment so let me pause here and see what questions you guys have on this first poison remember you can put your questions into facebook youtube or zoom in the comment section or those of you in zoom you can raise your hand electronically and ask any questions that you like and we'll see what questions you guys have and get you any kind of help or support that you need in understanding these. I was wondering, David, do you have any advice on how we can pursue goals, including the goals along the path, without such goals becoming craving, essentially? That's exactly how you need to pursue things in life, whether it's your career or whether it's aspects of your children's life or your own life or even pursuing this path even enlightenment can be a craving desire attachment for somebody who's longing or yearning for this enlightened mental state this peaceful mental state you need to find a way to pursue as a interest as a goal as an objective and in terms of these teachings if you did nothing and you never attended classes or you never picked up a book or you never interacted with a teacher, you never really meditated and you were kind of lackadaisical about your practice, that's not in the middle and you're not going to find results there. But also if you hold it too tight and you're just constantly thinking about the path to enlightenment and you constantly have your nose in a book and you constantly are worried about every last little thing that you're doing in your life, this is going to not promote the best mental state for you to pursue and obtain enlightenment because the mind's holding on to it too tightly. So you've got to find this middle where the mind is determined, it's dedicated, it's diligent, and it's applying effort and kind of trickling and dripping in these teachings into the mind. Whereas if you're just starting out and you're starting a meditation practice, then maybe you do once or twice a day for five or 10 minutes. And that's kind of where you're at right now. And that's what you can do. But then with determination, with dedication, with diligence, you start working on expanding your meditation practice. 
and doing longer and maybe more sessions. And same thing, maybe this is your first class in learning with me and you take this first class and it's like, okay, well, this was good. You know that I have three classes a week, but that maybe is too much for you to get started with. You have to kind of make some space in your life and maybe you just attend one class, Sunday's class, and that's all you ever attend. But then over time, maybe you have some more space and you come in on an occasional Wednesday or you regularly come in on Wednesday when I'm teaching classes on Wednesdays. So you kind of gradually expand your practice, but you've got to start somewhere. It's kind of like a snowball for those of you guys that are familiar with snow. If it snows in your part of the world, you kind of make a small little snowball and you kind of roll it and roll it and roll it and it gets bigger and bigger and you accumulate more benefits the more that you pursue this path, but you do so with a kind of consistent, steady approach rather than this longing with a strong eagerness. And you can do the same thing with your career. If you're in a certain career and you would like to advance in your career, you can do that with slow, steady, consistent growth rather than these bursts of energy and this longing and yearning, which would produce unwholesome results. And you wouldn't be able to sustain that. That's where people burn out in their careers. But also if you relax a daisical about your career and never really put any time, effort, or energy into developing it, that wouldn't be good either. So you've gotta be diligent, you've gotta be steady, you've gotta be consistent and pursue it as an interest, a goal, an objective, realizing that the attainment of that interest, goal, and objective isn't what's going to create the inner fulfillment in the mind. See, the problem isn't that we pursue goals or that we pursue certain objectives. The problem is that the mind with craving thinks that this thing, this material object or this title or some external thing is going to create inner satisfaction any kind of lasting inner fulfillment. So we can pursue these goals and objectives and interests that we have, but when the mind falsely thinks that this next object of its affection is going to be what finally satisfies it, that's what is going to be detrimental to one's mind because of the craving desire attachment, longing with a strong eagerness externally. So you've got to find this middle way where you're pursuing things and you know that it's good for you to create more income, for example, and advance your career, but you realize that the contentedness and peacefulness isn't going to come from more money. It isn't going to come from a more important job title. It's not going to come from more responsibility or a more luxurious car, more luxurious clothes or more friends or something like this, that's not what's going to produce the inner contentedness. It's recognizing that you need to pursue certain goals in life, but that you no longer falsely think that these external things are going to produce inner satisfaction in the mind. So it sounds like the topic of our last class, the middle way, is really a large part of how we can pursue goals without it becoming a craving, essentially. Exactly. That's all the Buddhist teachings are really kind of pointing to the middle way in one way or another is that you don't do things too loosely, but you also don't hold things too tightly because on either sides of those, the mind's not going to be performing optimally. 
So in this career or whatever you do, that you slowly build things up slowly but surely. Like right now, as I just mentioned, I'm teaching three classes a week. I'm teaching a fourth class here in Chiang Mai. I also meet with students privately as they schedule private appointments. There's four appointments per day that I take. I'm also writing books and publishing books. I'm also helping my family and doing things with the family. But I didn't just kind of click the fingers and turn on all that stuff at one time. I kind of slowly but surely gradually built up to that so that the mind can sustain these things without craving desire attachment and that the mind doesn't burn out. Because if you end up pursuing things with craving desire attachment, this is why the mind burns out either in a career or personal goals or interests, the mind will pursue and pursue and pursue and pursue and pursue and pursue. And it thinks it's going to get those pleasant feelings. And then eventually it just burns itself out and it decides it's no longer worthy to pursue that or it attains it and then it loses interest in it. This is why we call it the three fires because the fire eventually extinguishes and it burns out. And by doing that, you're not going to be able to sustain your personal relationships or your professional career because you're just pursuing things through craving, desire, attachment, this longing with a strong eagerness, chasing the object of your affection. But then once you either acquire the object of your affection and that wears off or you get disinterested in the object of your affection, the mind's going to latch onto another object of your affection and now start pursuing that. And that's why people have trouble meeting with any kind of success behind any one particular goal or objective because the mind keeps being redirected and chasing other objects of your affection or it burns out. And this is why some people ask me like, well, without craving, would I still be able to perform in my career and still obtain the things that I need in my life? And my answer is always yes, you'll actually be able to do it better. Because right now, if you're pursuing things in your career, for example, with craving, desire, attachment, then you're eventually going to burn out where it's no longer interesting to you or you're going to fulfill those pleasant feelings and find out that once those pleasant feelings have been experienced, those fade out. And now you're going to redirect to something else, not being able to put a lot of wholesome decisions behind any one particular goal because the mind's constantly looking for the next craving to latch on to. Hello, teacher. A question from Alan. What about the mind chasing happiness itself? Yes, this is also a craving desire attachment. And this is the reason why people can't experience permanent happiness because they're basing their happiness on some external object. So oftentimes, if you ask somebody like, what's happiness? Oftentimes, the way we're taught in Western culture is happiness is a certain amount of wealth or, you know, owning your own home or having certain cars or certain number of friends or a family or what have you. And these objects of our affection become how people define happiness and they're chasing after this happiness. And once they get that job, then they experience some temporary happiness, but then that wears off and then the mind fades into painful feelings. This is the reason why you see some professional comedians commit suicide. You know, these 
professional comedians will experience happiness while they're on stage and the lights are on and the curtains up and they're joking and they're happy and they're living in this happy world happy 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 always jokes and everything but then when the curtains are down and the lights are off the mind moves to these painful feelings and oftentimes some comedians will tell you and some celebrities will tell you the darkness that they experience but that's because they're chasing happiness and they don't understand what they don't understand they haven't done anything wrong they're not bad people it's just that their mind doesn't understand that that longing for happiness and trying to sustain happiness is an unrealistic goal because it's impermanent and as long as somebody's chasing this impermanent happiness based on impermanent external conditions it will never experience permanent joy you can experience permanent joy in the mind when you're not basing your inner feelings on external conditions as long as the mind is longing externally for these impermanent external conditions to create inner feelings it's going to experience pleasant feelings painful feelings and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant but once you cut this off and you cut off the mind's longing externally through this craving and the mind can then find inner contentedness and inner peacefulness not based on any external conditions then the mind is unconditioned and the mind can experience unconditioned joy rather than conditioned happiness and this is a permanent joy because it's unconditioned it's not based on any external conditions as long as the mind is basing its inner feelings on external conditions then it's going to constantly go through the cycle of discontentedness over and over and over again thanks teacher no more questions for now okay so let's move to the next poison or the next unwholesome root or the next fire which is anger or hatred or ill will this is where the mind oftentimes becomes hostile or aggressive or resentful we also sometimes refer to this as aversion as well here the first poison that we talked about or the first unwholesome root is how the mind longs externally for pleasant feelings well if it gets the objects of its affection it's going to experience pleasant feelings it's going to experience temporary happiness excitement elation thrill euphoria or something like that if it doesn't get the objects of its affection then it's going to experience painful feelings and with that is going to come this anger or this hatred or this ill will or this hostility or this aggression this is where the mind kind of lurches out and it pushes away these inner feelings of hurt and feelings that it doesn't like almost treating these inner feelings like a kind of internal enemy where there's conflict and the mind is kind of looking out for enemies in the world around it this causes much problems in our life because if the mind wants something from somebody or it wants the objects of its affection or it's craving any one particular thing when the mind is distracted from that or it's pulled away from that or it just doesn't get what it wants then the mind is going to be angry or irritated and then it's going to lurch out and 
be hostile and aggressive towards others around us. And this is how we push people away from us. And this is going to be detrimental to your personal and your professional relationships. We call this aversion as well because what ends up happening in the unenlightened mind is we falsely associate these painful feelings that the mind's having, this sadness or this frustration or irritation or annoyance. We falsely identify that it's this external thing that's caused it. We think that our children have caused us to be angry and we push them away. Or we have a certain friend or a colleague or our parents or our siblings that we think are causing the inner pain, the inner anger, the inner sadness. And we're uncomfortable with that. So we try to push it away. This is called aversion. And we build a wall. And we think that if we just get all these people and all these situations that are causing pain out of our life, then we will experience contentedness. But this is a misunderstanding, the mind's misunderstanding. It's falsely associating these painful feelings with these external things. And as long as it does that, it's going to keep pushing away and pushing away and pushing away until eventually you can't spend time with anybody around you because they're not meeting your expectations and they're not doing the things that you want them to do or you're not being fulfilled through your craving any longer. And when these people or situations are happening around you that are disagreeable or displeasing to the mind, the mind just thinks that if it pushes these people or these situations out of your life and you erect this wall around you where you don't have to interact with these people, then that's somehow going to create some kind of peacefulness and contentedness for you. But the problem is, is that the mind's trying to create this bubble this perfect little bubble that it resides within, but it can't maintain this bubble permanently. At some point, there's going to be another colleague or some stranger or some situation that you're in that somebody enters into your bubble and you don't like that and you don't like what they're doing and you're going to become aggressive or angered, have hatred towards them, and now you're going to have frustration and anger again, you know, being hostile towards that person. And this just creates unwholesome results because you're now creating difficulties and struggles in your personal and professional relationships. And you're going to find it a real difficult to conduct relationships because you're constantly pushing away the people that don't agree with you and that you don't agree with their intentions, speech and actions. And you're only allowing people into your bubble that meet certain criteria or certain conditions that you've set up in your mind. But as soon as one of these people stop meeting your conditions, then you're going to move them out of your bubble too. And this is aversion. And this is how the mind functions, not realizing that it's actually causing its own discontentedness. The mind thinks that these external things are causing discontentedness. But in reality, it's this craving, desire, attachment, that first poison, that longing with a strong eagerness that it's not getting what it wants so therefore, it's getting these painful feelings and it's all being created inside the mind. But the mind is falsely understanding this and it's attributing these painful feelings to these external things. And that's why it thinks that if it just pushes these things away, 
that it will create a better existence and a better experience, but it never does. It's never lasting because it hasn't solved the real problem. By pushing people that you disagree with out of your life isn't solving the problem. The real problem is, is that the mind can't reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy with all beings because it thinks that the real problem is external when it's actually internal, this craving, desire, attachment in the mind. So the way that we antidote this or the way that we fix this, the way that we practice in order to improve the condition of the mind and transform this poison of anger and hatred is we practice loving kindness meditation. This is what trains the mind to cultivate active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, where you can have a genuine interest in seeing all beings be well, whether they agree with you or they disagree with you. Whether you agree with their intentions, speech, and actions or not, you don't feel a need to push people away just because you've heard something that you disagree with or they've said something that you've disagreed with or you've observed something that you disagree with. By training the mind in loving kindness meditation, you're not trying to change the other person because it's impossible for you to change the mind of other people. Instead, what you're doing is you're changing your mind to be able to reside with this active goodwill without judgment, that you're not judging other people based on their intentions, their speech, and their actions, and then you can reside with this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. But you've got to train that gradually over time, over a consistent long-term period of meditation where you're training the mind through loving kindness meditation. And of course, with breathing mindfulness meditation in the first poison, but here loving kindness meditation is going to kind of rewire the mind where it's no longer looking at these external people or these external situations as the problem, it starts to realize that the real problem is inside the mind and it transforms this hatred, this anger, this hostility, this aggression, this resentment towards others, this interest in pushing them away. It transforms it through meditation to reside having this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well and the mind starts to slowly understand that pushing people away isn't going to create any wholesome results or wholesome outcomes for you. So that once you train in meditation on a long-term consistent basis, then your training doesn't just start and stop in meditation. You need to train in meditation daily, but then during your daily life, you need to practice loving kindness where you train the mind to be polite kind friendly and respectful to all beings without judgment not wanting anything from them that you just know that it's wise it's wholesome it's a good way of practice it's virtuous to be polite kind friendly and respectful to all beings not requiring people to earn your politeness or earn your respect, but you just choose to be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful because you know it's the right thing to do. And that becomes easier in daily life 
when you're putting together all these other parts of your practice to include loving kindness meditation. That when you're doing these practices and you're building up your life practice consistently over a long-term period, it becomes easier and easier in daily life to treat all beings polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. At first, it can be quite a chore. It can be quite a struggle. It can feel like there's a real wall, especially if there's people that you perceive that have done things to you in the past that have been harmful. You might find it difficult to practice loving kindness with those people because you've got this wall of aversion that you've erected. Well, what you're doing in loving kindness meditation is you're bringing that wall down. And what you're doing through practicing loving kindness in daily life is bringing that wall down so that now you can relate to all beings, both personally and professionally, with this genuine interest in seeing them be well and knowing that by you being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful, it's good for your practice. Even if other people are choosing to be disrespectful or unkind or impolite, you know that that's their practice and that's only affecting them, that you instead choose to making wise choices to practice these good wholesome teachings through meditation, but then also in daily life. So just like you're practicing generosity to antidote the craving and you're practicing that in daily life through giving and sharing, here in this poison, you're practicing loving kindness in all situations in order to make it easier and easier for the mind to be at ease when it's around others. And you no longer see others as enemies and you no longer look for conflicts and you look for problems with other people and looking at how, oh, I disagree with that and I can't be friends with them because I disagree with how they did that. Instead, you look at the positive side and you have this genuine interest and you know that everybody's a work in progress and you stop judging other people based on what they're doing right or wrong because everybody's in the process of improving their conduct and becoming more virtuous and practicing better moral conduct and better mental discipline and no longer having these expectations on people will really help you to do that. So let me pause here and see what questions you guys have related to this particular poison or this unwholesome root. Well, uh, Gamsi has a question saying, Hi, teacher David. Thank you for giving this lesson. My question is, how to understand the red line between the attachment and having joy when we desire something? When to know uh, if this is an attachment rather than something gives us joy and happiness? If you're looking for something to give you joy and happiness, that's an attachment. That's a craving desire attachment. The mind is looking externally to create some inner feelings. So you don't have to eliminate the material objects or the relationships or the career or these kind of things. You don't have to eliminate those from your life. You just have to eliminate how the mind perceives these things and misunderstands these things, thinking that these external things are going to create inner joy because what's really happening there is the mind is longing and chasing for these external objects of your affection 
And what it's doing is it's creating temporary pleasant feelings and then those feelings fade. It's not until the mind's willing to let go of this temporary conditioned happiness that it's going to experience this unconditioned permanent joy. As long as the mind's basing its inner feelings on these external conditions, it's a craving desire attachment. And when you see that happiness or excitement or elation arise because you've acquired something, that's discontentedness because it's basing its inner feelings on this external condition. Even though it's happiness, even though it's pleasant, it's still a discontent mind because it's basing its inner feelings on some impermanent external condition. So you've got to experience certain things. If you get a new car or you get a new job or you get a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend, you acquire these things, but you don't allow the mind to experience this happiness and excitement and elation because of those things. You just recognize like, okay, I got a new car. This is what I needed. That's good. Excellent. Let's use the new car. Or, oh, I've got a new friend. This might be someone that can potentially become a boyfriend or girlfriend someday. Let me continue to explore this relationship. Well, that's the way an enlightened mind is going to think. But the way that an unenlightened mind is going to think is, oh, wow, I got a new car. Oh, my goodness, this is so great. Now I can go on all those trips. Yay. Or, oh, right, I got a new boyfriend, a new girlfriend. Oh, my God, this person makes me feel so whole and so complete inside. I don't know what I would ever do without them. If I lost them, I would just be devastated, right? That's a craving desire attachment because the mind is basing its inner feelings of happiness, excitement, elation on this external thing. But this external thing is impermanent. It's impermanent. Even the boyfriend, girlfriend, if you marry them and you're with them for the rest of your life, one of you are going to die first. Or one of you are going to have to go on a trip for two or three or four weeks somewhere. Or one of you are going to get sick and stay in the hospital. And you can't have this person with you permanently. So if you base your inner feelings on this external person, then it's going to experience this discontentedness. So you've got to train the mind to no longer base its internal feelings on these external things because these external things are going to eventually be gone. You don't have to get rid of the boyfriend and girlfriend. You just have to get rid of how the mind relates to it and longs for it. You don't have to get rid of the car. You just have to get rid of the way the mind wants to keep it permanently in any particular condition. And then when it gets an accident or it gets a scratch, the mind sees this impermanence and it doesn't like it. And because it's basing its inner feelings on this external thing, it's going to experience painful feelings. So you've got to recognize the impermanent nature of all of these things in the world and as long as you allow the mind to crave and long and yearn for them it's going to create discontentedness in the mind through painful feelings through pleasant feelings and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant well uh, jimmy has his hand raised so let's go to him okay hello jamie nice to meet you hi hi david the one question i wanted to ask was about uh with the anger um, now, I, I'm going to make a very 
sort of generalization here, um, but something that would make most people angry. How do you square? I can understand in our personal relationships, but for instance, terrorism, just for argument's sake, or a murder or something like that. How do you square that, getting over that kind of anger? I really have no idea. And I, I can see loving kindness, but I kind of struggle with that, to be honest. Sure. That's it. When you're first starting to learn, the mind's going to struggle with seeing a lot of things. And that's part of what you're doing by building this life practice is learning and deepening your understanding and taking two or three or four sits at really learning these teachings, allowing them to soak in and see them in practice. It's not in just one conversation or one teaching that the mind can immediately eliminate anger. It's going to be a consistent, comprehensive practice of training the mind away from the anger. And then it softens and softens and softens and kind of fades out where it goes from anger to frustration to irritation to annoyance to eventually the same things can happen in our life and we no longer experience any arising of any discontentedness based on that particular thing that maybe six months or a year ago would have created lots of anger in the mind. So something with murder or terrorism, things like this, yeah, these things are unfortunate that happen in our world and and these are things that other people are doing. But those people aren't causing the anger in the mind. What's causing the anger is the individual wants things to be different than they are. The mind is craving for the world to be a certain way. The mind has this mental longing and strong eagerness for the world to not have murderers or for the world to not have terrorism. These teachings aren't in all cases about what's right or wrong, right? That's not what the Buddha taught. What the Buddha taught is why is the mind discontent? Sure, it's wrong for people to have terrorism and to murder. That's wrong. You know, people shouldn't do that. But those things do happen and they will happen in the world. As long as people have craving, anger and ignorance, they're going to continue to happen in the world. But if we attach our inner feelings to what's happening in this external world, then the mind's going to constantly be angry when it sees something that it disagrees with. So maybe today it doesn't like that there's terrorism and murders. Well, let's just say someone could snap their fingers and instantly get rid of terrorism and and murdering in the world, if that was possible. Well, a mind who has longing with strong eagerness, craving, desire, attachment, it's going to find something else to be angry about. Because now it's not going to like that everybody wears pink shirts. Anyone who wears a pink shirt, I don't like this, and I'm going to get angry because everyone wears pink shirts. Oh, so now we have to say, everyone stop wearing pink shirts. Okay, now are you content yet? No, because now I want everybody to wear brown tennis shoes, right? So the mind's going to just constantly be craving for the next thing. And as long as the mind's holding on and wanting things to be different than they are, it's going to cause itself to be angry. So I can say I don't agree with someone who commits terrorism. I can say I don't agree with someone who's a murderer. I don't agree with their intentions, their speech, and their actions. But it doesn't benefit me to be angry at that person. 
it doesn't create any benefit in my mind or in my life if I allow there to be anger because of what someone else did because I can't control that person. I didn't tell that person to do that. I wasn't involved in that. There's no sense in me ever getting angry based on someone else's intention, speech, and actions because it's just going to pollute my mind and then I'm going to lack concentration and calmness and focus and it's just going to lead to unwholesome decisions in my life. So you've got to see it as unbeneficial for you to get angry at what other people are doing in the world and no longer craving for things to be done a certain way based on your liking. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And that comes with practice, Jamie. That's not just like a snap of the finger, as you probably know, that, oh, yeah, I'll just stop thinking that murderers, you know, it's okay. You know, it's not that we're saying it's okay for people to murder. We're just saying let's not base our inner feelings on what's going on externally. And this comes with training and you have to train the mind to do this. Whereas if you allow the mind to get excited about that new car or you go to your new restaurant and they have this new dish. Oh, wow, look, they've got this new dish. I'm so excited to try it. If we allow the mind to get excited in that situation, well, then when the mind sees something that it disagrees with, it's also going to get angry in that situation too. So what you're doing in training the mind is you're training the mind to cut off this longing with a strong eagerness where it's basing its inner feelings on these external conditions. Thank you very much. Got it. Thank you're welcome, you. sir. You're very welcome. Well, uh, Gloria also uh, has his, her hand raised, so let's go to Gloria. Hello, Gloria. Hello. Um, so I just wanted to attest to what you are saying in my own experience. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I have been searching and I just feel that uh, this philosophy Buddhism um, makes sense to me um, because of my experience that in my mind since I was a child I felt I want to accomplish this I want to accomplish this I want children I want a house I want a husband I want uh, to finish uh, education and I I want a car (laughs) I accomplish all this every time and then I feel like I'm gonna be happy <laughs> and then I accomplish whatever I want and like inside me I still feel so sad. This sadness so profound and I'm like I'm supposed to be okay now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's still it's like so I was like, what's going on? I need to find something else. Why is it the reason why I still feel this emptiness and this sadness. Um, and uh, so I just feel that uh, this philosophy um, helps me to understand my condition. Yes, that's the beauty in Gautama Buddha's teachings is nothing is based on belief. Is that when you learn these teachings and you reflect on them and then you practice them in daily life, you can see the truth for yourself. So these antidotes that I'm giving you, if you learn these and you practice them as part of the Eightfold Path and this whole path to enlightenment, you will see the truth for yourself that these antidotes work. What this talk is about is informing you of the problem so you intellectually understand the problem 
and you intellectually understand the solution. But you shouldn't believe that, as it sounds like you're not, Gloria, in that you should reflect on this content and maybe listen and read the book and see it more and more clearly. Like, aha, the Buddhist teachings are exactly explaining my experience in this life and what I've been experiencing. And now that you have that confidence, it's a matter of now practicing and seeking guidance with a teacher to improve your life practice more and more, implementing these antidotes more and more and more so that you can see the changes in the condition of the mind. And this is where having guidance is really helpful, is that by learning in these classes, by seeking personal guidance and developing your practice, this is an independent practice where you're training your own mind, but you need to see guidance from somebody who understands. But then you can see the truth for yourself that this craving as it goes down, it softens, discontentedness in the mind softens. And then when you implement these teachings about anger, that starts to soften and becomes frustration, irritation, annoyance. And you see the truth for yourself as the mind moves closer to this enlightened mental state now. The Buddhist teachings aren't about learning a bunch of rules, following those rules, and hoping that once you die, some beneficial thing's going to happen for you. The Buddhist teachings are learn these natural laws of existence, and when you do, and you understand them, and you reflect on them, and you practice the teachings to train the mind, you will see the mind transform in that things that once made you very angry and frustrated and you maybe became very hostile in those situations, they're no longer causing that in the mind because the mind has now become more wise. It's gotten more wisdom and it's been trained to no longer allow these external things to cause internal feelings. And this is where the mind becomes more awake or more enlightened. And eventually you get to the point, if the mind gets to enlightenment, where you never experience discontentedness whatsoever, and that's where the mind is actually enlightened. So thank you for sharing, Gloria. And in that situation that you explained, your mind did experience happiness when you got the car and the family and everything. But then that was temporary because the mind was still basing its inner feelings on these external things. And that's one of the nice things about learning you know, when you're in your 30s or 40s, 50s, 60s, is you've led a whole life and it's like none of this stuff has led to any lasting fulfillment in the mind. Sure, there's been this temporary happiness, but it hasn't led to permanent fulfillment or satisfaction or contentment in the mind. And that's one of the nice benefits of being a little bit older as you learn and practice these teachings because you have the history and the wisdom to know that none of these material things, none of these external things are going to lead to any long-term satisfaction. Well, Manel has a question, so let's go to Manel. Sure. Hi, teacher David. So wanted to speak on uh, generosity and being generous. Uh, would saying the self likes being generous an indication of craving could be if somebody's enjoying being generous and they start identifying with being generous as part of their identity or sort of part of their personality this can be detrimental to the mind too this is where you've always got to find the middle way it's not just a matter of running out and being generous to everybody 
because if the mind starts identifying its identity, its personality, its self-image as being generous, well, what happens when you lose your job and you don't have any substantial income for a few months or a few years and now you can't be as generous as you were in the past? If the mind identifies and looks at its self-image through the practice of generosity, then it's craving or longing for generosity. And now when it can't do that, it's going to experience discontentedness. So that's why when you practice generosity, it's got to be just because it's a good, wholesome decision and you don't want anything in return and you're not assigning any identity or image based on generosity. This is where like if you go out to be generous and you're taking photos and you're telling all your friends and you're posting on Facebook about look how generous I am. This is just the ego, that arrogance, that pride. This is the self image, the self identity, wanting some kind of recognition for wow, look at me how generous I am. Well, that's detrimental to the mind and dangerous because at some point you're not going to be able to do that. And if you're only being generous in order to create pleasant feelings, then you're right back into the same cycle of longing for something externally, trying to create internal feelings. So when we practice generosity, it needs to just be because it's the right thing to do and you're working on your practice to let go. And that's the only interest that you have is to train your own mind. Right, I do reflect on how it feels to have to do an act of generosity uh, or to be generous and to have random generosity sometimes uh, in the very moment. Um, but what happens is sometimes there's a sort of a foreplanning or uh, ways that you proactively consider being generous for someone or something in the future. So my question is more about the that diligence in uh, planning where to next be generous because you're not thinking in the present moment. You're actually thinking maybe three months, four months down the line, maybe sometime in the future. But this proactiveness that you take um, also, uh, you know, how does that is there an indication of craving because you're setting that in the future? Not necessarily. We can plan things in the future while still residing in the present moment. The challenge is, is if you plan something in the future and it doesn't happen the way you want, that's where the mind can become discontent. So it's okay to plan things and to put together plans and have ideas of things that you would like to do in the future. But if things don't go exactly to the plan, if the mind's holding on to the plan, then when things don't go exactly as planned, that's when it's going to cause itself discontentedness. So the mind can plan for the future, but without expectations and without holding on to those plans so tightly that if they didn't happen the way that the mind thought, that it would be crushed and devastated. And that's where you know that, okay, I can practice planning because it's wise to plan ahead, but I just shouldn't hold on to this so tightly expecting the outcome to be a certain way. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, uh, Michael has a question. He says, would you say craving desire is a strong liking while anger aversion is a strong disliking? 
Yes, you can look at it that way. That's one way to look at it in very simple terms. Okay, uh, it seems that uh, there's a question with you. So let's go to James. I was wondering, David, if you can speak to the distinction between aversion and pushing others away versus having discernment about who we surround ourselves with. Okay, yeah, great question. So in our daily life and as we build our life practice, it's really wise to have wholesome friends and wholesome associates around because your mind's going to be influenced by that. And it's good to ensure that you have made wise decisions about who you choose to involve in your life. And you can do that based on any number of criteria without looking down on people, without judging people. You can just choose like, oh, okay, these people are into good, wholesome things, so let me spend time with them. Oh, these people over here, they're not into these wholesome things. Like maybe there's people who are into drugs or alcohol or stealing or robbing. Not that we're looking down on those people, not that we're thinking that they're bad people, but just knowing the type of activities that they're into, if you choose to be around those people, then you're gonna have a tendency to do those things and some of their decisions might actually affect you. Whereas if you were around somebody who's a drug dealer, for example, and you're not into that, if you're driving your car and they're loaded down with drugs or weapons and you get pulled over by police, you could be affected by that. So it's wise to have wholesome friends and wholesome associates around you and be part of your life. And you can choose with wisdom or discernment and without judgment to choose to not be around certain people, but still do so while maintaining loving kindness and compassion while still having a genuine interest in seeing others be well, you can just choose to not be around this person. And this would be discernment or wise decision making. I haven't blocked them out of my life. I haven't pushed them away thinking they're a bad person. I haven't become arrogant or prideful thinking that I'm so great and they're so horrible and pushed them down and erected this wall between us, which would be aversion. I've instead just chosen out of wise decision making that it wouldn't be wise for me to be around this person and I wish them well and in my mind I don't hold any hostility or resentment towards them I just know that it wouldn't be wise for me to be around this person and this is the difference between having aversion and making wise choices to be around wholesome people if you're going to make wise choices to be around wholesome people you do that without judgment, without arrogance, without pride, while maintaining loving kindness and compassion. If there's aversion, you're going to most likely look down on people. There's going to be ego, arrogance, pride. You're going to push people away thinking that they're the ones who are causing your painful feelings and you're going to erect a wall between you and them. And this is going to just cause you problems because you're going to keep pushing people out of your life more and more and more and then eventually you're going to find that there's just nobody around anymore we have a related question on youtube from pulse should one come back to people one has pushed already away there's situations where you can do that and situations where it might not be wise for you to do that if you've pushed somebody away and it's long in the past and you guys have been completely distant from each other and it's a personal relationship it's probably a good idea to just leave it in the past 
but you work on your own loving kindness and compassion that you no longer harbor any hostility or resentment for this person. Because if you went back to the person, they maybe haven't had the breakthrough that you've had, and it's just going to cause more pain and more difficulties because maybe you've gotten over your resentment and hostility and aggression, but they haven't. And it's just going to result in challenges because they're still having craving, anger, and ignorance, but you're working on your own mind. It doesn't really make sense to go back. If it's a business situation where you've had certain vendors or certain business partners and things like this, and you feel like it would just be good for your career to just kind of send them a note or an email or let them know like, okay, you know, I apologize for this. It's in the past, even though it happened a couple of years ago, I just want to apologize for any feelings that you feel towards me and just apologize for it. That can kind of clean up things a bit more. Still doesn't mean you're going to go down and have lunch together and have, you know, new business dealings together, but at least you've cleaned up that part of your life that you are no longer being seen in your career, in your livelihood as somebody who's angry and aggressive and resentful, because this is going to impact you in lots of different ways concerning your livelihood and what you're able to do long term. So if it's a personal thing, I would say that you just leave it in the past. It's in the past. If it's a business thing that still has the ability or the potential to affect you, then I would say clean that up. And then there's kind of like this other aspect where like there's some personal relationships that are long in the past, but it kind of would make sense to kind of clean that up perhaps. And what I'm thinking here is kind of like ex-husbands or ex-wives where there's children involved. Maybe there's been a five or 10 year period where you guys just haven't talked to each other and it's just been complete wall, complete aversion and it's creating a lot of problems in the family and maybe even your children are having some challenges with this. It would make sense in that situation to kind of clean this up if you have a child together and you feel like this would be beneficial for you, it would be beneficial for the other person, it would be beneficial for your children to just clean this relationship up and let the people know that, okay, I've let all this go and if you're ever interested in talking about this, let me know. But don't go into those kind of conversations with expectations that the other person is ready to let go. Because even though you've let go of your hostility or resentment and you're willing to bring the wall down, they might not be. So if you're going to go back and try to repair any of these relationships, you've got to do it without expectation, without anything that you want. And without thinking that, okay, I'm going to repair this and everything's going to be perfect because that's not going to be the case. So you've got to let go of that craving, those wants, those expectations, and just choose to apologize or make amends just because it's the right thing to do. And if that's no longer possible for you, just cultivate this genuine interest in seeing others be well that you let go of any resentment that you harbor in the mind for anyone in the past, because as long as you hold on to any resentment or hostility or ill will for people, it's going to inhibit you from experiencing enlightenment. Even if you haven't seen that person for 20 years, if you still got ill will and hatred towards that person, it's going to inhibit your enlightenment. 
So it's wise for you to work skillfully with this and eliminate it from the mind, whether you ever see that person ever again or not. Thank you, David. No more questions at this time. Okay. So, so far we've been talking about craving and anger or this greed and this hatred. And this craving is about how the mind longs for something externally. This anger, hatred is about how we push things away from us. Well, now let's talk about why all of this stuff is actually occurring in the mind. Why is the unenlightened mind experiencing all this stuff? Well, this is because of the third poison that we call ignorance or delusion or confusion. I also call this the unknowing of true reality, that the mind is unknowing of these natural laws of existence that the Buddha talked about. Essentially, it's our wrong understanding and our wrong views of reality that we've misunderstood. We have this misperception about how the world works around us and our inability to understand things as they are. We have these distortions in our perceptions of how we perceive the world. So we think that in this ignorance, in this delusion, in this unknowing of true reality, in this confusion, we think that this material objects, these external things, are going to create inner fulfillment. And that's why we still have craving, desire, attachment for anybody who still has that. We think in our ignorance and our delusion and our confusion and our unknowing of true reality that these external situations or this external person is causing the painful feelings in our mind. So therefore, if we just push them away, then that's what's going to create the contentedness and satisfaction in the mind. But that's all because of our ignorance or our delusion or our misperception, our wrong views of reality and how things work in the world. That's what's keeping the mind in this unenlightened state is this ignorance, this delusion, this unknowing of true reality. And the mind is confused. The unenlightened mind doesn't understand what it doesn't understand. And this is why beings just continue in this cycle of constant craving, 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 craving. I get my pleasant feelings. That feels good. They wear off. And now the mind feels painful feelings again. Or craving, craving, craving. I don't get what I want. I experience these painful feelings, this anger, this hatred, this resentment, this ill will. And now I push people out of my life. And it just keeps doing this over and over and over, never getting to a point of satisfaction or contentment or peacefulness or calm because of this unknowing of true reality, because of this ignorance. And the only way to antidote this or remedy it is through investigation of the Buddhist teachings. Through learning, reflecting, and practicing these teachings from the Buddha, we don't believe them. We reflect on them and we practice them. And when we see true reality for ourselves, how clear and concise these teachings are and how they truly explain what really is, and how they truly give us the antidotes and remedies to fix all of this as these remedies are implemented and the mind sees true reality more and more and more, we acquire wisdom. We eliminate the belief of if we constantly crave things, it's going to create inner satisfaction. We eliminate the belief 
if we just push these people out of our life, that's going to create contentedness in our world. We start observing the truth more and more, the more that we awaken to these truths that the Buddha gives us, the more that we see true reality and what he was actually teaching, we acquire this wisdom that the mind now functions in the world very differently than it did before. Before you knew about these three poisons or three unwholesome roots, we might have thought in one way, but now that you start getting exposure to these teachings and you start slowly, gradually bringing them into your life, you start seeing the truth for yourself more and more. And with this newly acquired wisdom, the mind starts functioning in the world very differently than it did before. This is the same thing you did with the natural law of gravity. When you were a child growing up, you didn't understand this natural law of gravity. You fell down, you hurt yourself, you knocked over glasses and you broke them. You uh, put your toys in certain places that ended up getting destroyed because of this unknowing of true reality, because of the confusion, because of the ignorance of this natural law of gravity, we found it very difficult to exist in a world that we didn't understand. And as a child, we fell, we tripped, we had trouble in our life. But then eventually, as we grew, we become more familiar. We became more wise to this natural law of gravity. We started conducting ourselves in the world very differently than we did when we were children. And now we can go all over the world and we can travel everywhere we'd like. And we completely understand this natural law of gravity. And for the most part, we're not going to fall. We're not going to break things. We're not going to have difficulties with this natural law of gravity because we're wise to it, because we understand it, because we investigated it. We learned about it. We reflected on it. We practiced in a better way of putting our stuff that is really nice in certain areas. We practiced walking. We practiced jumping. We practiced looking at the sidewalk when we walk down the street. So now we can peacefully coexist with this natural law of gravity. All these natural laws that the Buddha taught, he understood them as truth. He had the wisdom of what these were. But as unenlightened beings, you don't understand what you don't understand. And because you don't understand these natural laws of existence, it's oftentimes a big struggle to exist in a world that you don't understand. And when you understand these natural laws of existence, learning his teachings piece by piece, building up your practice to be a more comprehensive practice, then you will come to understand this wisdom and see the truth for yourself, not based on belief. Just like you know that Santa Claus doesn't exist and you have that wisdom and nobody can ever convince you that Santa Claus exists, when you learn the Buddhist teachings and then you reflect on them and then you practice them and see the truth for yourself that the condition of the mind is improving, then you know the truth and nobody can ever convince you otherwise because you see the truth for yourself. This is why we call certain parts of his teachings the three universal truths because they're truth that you can independently verify on your own. You're going to need guidance and support from a teacher, but you can go off and independently confirm all of the teachings of the Buddha. And then when you see the truth, you have wisdom. And now the mind functions in the world very differently 
now that it has the wisdom of these three universal truths. Same thing with the four noble truths. You learn them, you reflect on them, you practice them, you seek guidance from a teacher to learn them closer and closer. And then when you're in the world and you see that this is working to bring peacefulness and contentedness to the mind, then you know the truth that now with this wisdom, you'll start functioning in the world very differently. And all of these other teachings, these are just a sample of some of the teachings, the three universal truths, the four noble truths, the eightfold path, the five precepts, the Brahma Viharas, the natural law of gamma, the seven factors of enlightenment, extensive meditation training, eliminating the 10 fetters, and more and more. That's what this whole book is about. And also this whole book series that I'm in the process of writing and slowly going to be releasing for you guys. All of this stuff is available for you openly and freely, not just the resources, but the support and guidance as well to help you along this path. The more that you learn these teachings, you reflect on them and you practice them, you'll see the truth, acquiring wisdom and antidote this ignorance or this delusion you will remedy this in the mind that now with more wisdom you will start functioning in the world very differently and you'll essentially unravel this whole puzzle you'll unravel this whole enlightened mind where you'll no longer see it beneficial to maintain this craving you'll no longer see it beneficial to have this anger and you will have deeply trained the mind and essentially rewired the mind where it no longer functions based on these false truths or this belief or this wrong perception or this wrong understanding, you will instead function through this wisdom that the Buddha shares that you know is the truth because you've seen it in practice yourself. And that's how you antidote this and start functioning in the world with wiser and wiser decisions. So let me pause here and see what questions you guys have on this particular poison. Would you say that ignorance is the root of the other poisons and essentially all of our discontentment? If you were to boil everything down to just one thing, what's the one thing that's keeping the mind in the unenlightened state? It's ignorance, it's delusion, it's this unknowing of true reality that the mind doesn't understand what it doesn't understand. And as long as it doesn't have this wisdom, it's going to constantly be in this cycle of craving, desiring, attaching, wanting, expectations, pleasant feelings, painful feelings, feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, all these discontent feelings are just gonna keep repeating over and over and over in the mind because it doesn't understand what it doesn't understand and it hasn't been trained otherwise. And as long as this is in the mind, it's gonna keep experiencing struggles because it doesn't understand what it doesn't understand and it's quite a struggle to exist in a world that you don't understand thank you david we have no more questions at this time okay so let's just kind of wrap this up with a bit of a summary and just kind of talking about all of these things kind of in a more broad sense and just kind of bringing it down to just some simplicity without as much of the detail that i've already shared what we're talking about here is the three poisons, the three unwholesome roots, or the three fires, and we need to extinguish these or antidote these or practice the opposites in order to transform them. 
The three poisons, three unwholesome roots, or three fires are craving, anger, and ignorance, this unknowing of true reality, or greed, hatred, delusion, or desire, ill will, and confusion, where the mind's just very confused and it doesn't understand what it doesn't understand. And it's a bit of a challenge for someone who's, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old to realize we've been going through life this whole time not understanding what we don't understand. We think that we know what we know and we've led a certain life, but yet the mind is still sad. The mind is still angered. The mind is still frustrated. It hasn't gotten to that peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy that's permanent, that enlightened mental state until it eradicates all of these three poisons or these three unwholesome roots or these three fires. Now, the antidotes or the three wholesome roots we talk about as generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. Even though I gave you those meditations that we practice, breathing mindfulness meditation to antidote craving and loving kindness meditation to antidote anger, when we talk generally about the three antidotes or the three wholesome roots, we talk about generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. So instead of making decisions through selfish desires or craving, instead of making decisions through anger or hatred or ill will, instead of making decisions through unknowing of true reality or this ignorance, this confusion, this delusion, what you do is you transform the mind to now start practicing and making decisions in the world through generosity, through selflessness, through sharing and giving, through loving kindness or this active interest in seeing all beings be well, this active goodwill. And you start making decisions through this wisdom of the Buddhist teachings and you make free will decisions through the wholesome roots, then you'll see that your decisions will result in wholesome outcomes because of you're now functioning through these three wholesome roots. But you have to learn about these. You have to train the mind and you have to work to transform this it doesn't happen in just one talk or one click of a finger it's a life practice and that's why i titled this book developing a life practice so it's only through eliminating and eradicating these that you're going to eliminate 100 percent of all discontentedness in the mind and any kind of suffering that it causes and through practicing in this way with the three wholesome roots you're now no longer going to be producing any unwholesome decisions. Therefore, there's no wholesome outcomes or no unwholesome gamma. And then that's when the mind moves closer and closer to this enlightened mental state where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently because it's been completely transformed and all of these unwholesome roots have been uprooted and now, in replace of that, the mind is now functioning through these three wholesome roots of generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. And this takes a lot of time to work through. And everybody is a little bit different. There's no one set time frame, but it's going to take a good bit of time. But with dedication, with determination, with diligence, this is something that you can do because you've got the resources that are completely available to you openly and freely and you've got the support from me as well. So this is everything that I was planning to talk with you guys about. 
I would just like to kind of open up to you guys about any questions that you've got about the three poisons specifically. But then if there's no more questions about the three poisons or three unwholesome roots or their antidotes, then we can open up to any other questions that you guys have related to the Buddhist teachings. I believe you've mentioned in the past, David, that the mind is enlightened and pure and it's the three poisons that are essentially obscuring that pure mind. Isn't that correct? Yeah, you can look at this as two different ways. It depends on how the mind chooses to look at it. You can look at it as you need to attain enlightenment and it's something that you need to attain by eradicating these three poisons. Or the other way you can look at it is that the mind is already enlightened and it's got this pollution of the three poisons. And what you need to do is you need to clear out this pollution so that the enlightened mind can shine through, right? This is another way to look at it because oftentimes if we need to attain something that we don't have, that oftentimes elicits craving, desire, attachment because the mind is longing for something it doesn't have. Whereas if you think about enlightenment as you've already got it, it's the mind is already enlightened, it's already pure, it's just being obscured, it's just being tainted or this pollution is in the way that if we just clear out this pollution then this enlightened mind can shine through and you can experience this radiance or this brilliance of the enlightened mind. This is why oftentimes we can be in a certain conversation or a certain situation where we have these really wholesome intentions in the mind and we can kind of say something or suggest a certain opinion and we think it's a wonderful idea but other people don't think so or they perceive it in a certain way and that's because sometimes it's tainted our decisions are sometimes tainted with craving anger and ignorance whereas when we fully develop the eightfold path and we practice in a really wholesome way then you're going to find that your interactions with people are much more smooth and much more easy because you're now practicing these good wholesome teachings and you're no longer tainting any of your decisions with craving anger and ignorance because you've now antidoted it and everything that you do is based in generosity loving kindness and wisdom and there you will find that conducting yourself in life is much easier and much smoother and things still aren't going to go your way 100% of the time. But when they don't go your way, you're okay with that because you've at least practiced generosity, loving kindness and wisdom and your mind is not longing for everything to be your way. You recognize that not everything can be your way and you no longer have that longing and that desire for everything to be your way. So when you clear out this pollution of the mind, the genuine intention of generosity, loving kindness and wisdom will shine through and people will be able to see that more clearly. Thank you, David. That seems to be all that we have for today. All right. Well, I would like to just once again thank all of you guys for joining us for today's class because learning these three poisons helps you to understand the problems at a high level and some of the antidotes but it's not until you really dive into those other teachings that i talked about the three universal truths the four noble truths the eightfold path and all the others including the ten fetters 
that you really deeply, deeply understand the problems in the unenlightened mind and why you haven't been able to experience lasting peacefulness or lasting happiness or having this inner fulfillment where the mind is just at ease. It's not until you dive into these other teachings that you understand the struggles that you've been experiencing in life and why things have been such a consistent struggle. And when you do, when you dive into these teachings, you can then clear up all of these things and be able to now practice in a way through this generosity, loving kindness and wisdom where now things are much more smooth and much more easy for you. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes dedication, but you can do it. There's nothing holding you back other than your own determination, your own diligence and your own dedication because everything here, like I said, there's books, there's audiobooks, there's videos, there's podcasts, there's online classes, there's personal guidance where you can schedule sessions with me to talk privately. There's a Facebook group where you can meet with other people and you can connect with a larger audience of people that are interested in the same things that you're interested in. So the whole ecosystem is here for you to come into and learn and practice. It's just a matter of you choosing to actually do it. So on Sundays, we meet and we talk about a chapter in this book. Now we're on chapter eight, but next week we're going to be in chapter nine, which is talking about how this natural law of gamma of cause and effect affects us and how does it affect us and what is this natural law of gamma essentially demystifying and taking away the mystery of this natural law of gamma because all too often it's described as kind of mysterious or this punishment and rewards that's not what the natural law of gamma is at all so next week we're going to be talking about that because that's a central understanding that needs to be understood in order to progress on this path to enlightenment. So we'll do that next Sunday. And then this Wednesday, we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation. So that antidote to craving, we're going to actually be doing that on Wednesday at the same time, 9 p.m. Thai time. So whatever the time that is in your time zone, you can look and choose to either participate in the live stream in Facebook or YouTube or come into Zoom or watch the replay if you can't participate in the live class. And you can learn breathing mindfulness meditation and start building up your practice. But wherever you are, you should be able to download this because there's a link that you can download the book. And at the end of each chapter, there's talks that I've given. There's an audio book. There's a little quiz if you would like to take the quiz. And there's a a walking through from beginning all the way through to help you develop your life practice where more and more you can eradicate this ignorance or this unknowing of true reality and gain wisdom. And then when you have a question, you can post it into Facebook. You can ask questions in these online classes. You can send me a private message or you can schedule a personal discussion to get help on a private one-on-one basis. And oftentimes when people are first starting, They will kind of schedule weekly appointments or every two weeks for a period of time just to kind of get ramped up and headed in the right direction. And then once they're headed in the right direction, they can kind of use all these other mechanisms and all these other abilities to get help as they need help. But these resources are available to all of you guys, and you're welcome to 
take part in them. And then once you learn through this program on Sunday and Wednesdays, there is a program on Saturday called the Words of the Buddha, the Pali Canon and English Study Group, where once you kind of study this material for about six months to a year, you can then move into studying with the actual words of the Buddha. And even in this book, Developing a Life Practice, I've got some sections in there where I've got the words of the Buddha in there as well. So you can see that what I'm teaching is directly related to what he taught. But then once you go through this program, kind of establishing a foundation and a framework, you can move into this other program where we study exclusively the words of the Buddha and helping you see things more clearly through his teachings. But going into that program oftentimes from the beginning can be quite a challenge if you haven't first established a nice foundation for yourself through this program first. So you're welcome to participate in all of these. I invite you, you're welcome to attend, you're welcome to reach out however you'd like, and I'm here to support you and guide you along this path. So enjoy the rest of your day wherever you're at, and I'll see you either Wednesday, Saturday, or Sunday in one of these online classes, or perhaps even before then. So until then, have a wonderful day, and we'll see you next time. Sawadikap. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.